by Tony Nichols. Welcome to the Good Talent Podcast. It's great to have your company. Cast your mind back to 2018. Sisto Malaspina killed in a terror attack, the owner of Pellegrini's. It was a shocking moment for the country, for the world, and certainly for all Victorians and Melburnians and Sisto's family. A terrorist makes his way into the CBD, attempts to ignite a gas bottle off the back of a ute, rampages down the street stabbing people, kills Sisto. Shocking, absolutely shocking. And at the time, it was the second terror attack in this country, Newman Hader previously, shot dead by police at Endeavour Hills. The nation stopped. We were all in total shock and fear for our own safety. All communities, including all religions and all cultural communities. And then the media cycle starts spinning. And of course, the media cycle spins with emotion. It's not a news cycle, it's an emotion cycle. And in this instance, it's an outrage cycle. And you've got political parties poking all sorts of fear and hatred. And the Islamic Council of Victoria has the awful job of fielding endless media inquiries if an event like this was to happen. And we've done a lot of work with the team at the Islamic Council of Victoria over the years. One of the board members at the time decides to take an interview. So it's a live radio interview, I think with 3AW. In the midst of this media furor, we're talking 48 hours within the killing. And the Islamic Council of Victoria, obviously looking after so many multicultural communities. And of course, being subject to so much discrimination and hatred, which is unacceptable. And, and of course, obviously hating any terror attack or any loss of life at all, or anyone who doesn't follow the religion as they should be following it. They see the bigger picture of wanting to change the narrative, change the language. So this isn't it in, in this board member's mind, this is not a terror attack. This is a murder. And obviously terror attacks at the time being closely associated with the Muslim community is an affront. So it's an example of the media discriminating against them. So understanding the bigger aim of changing the language of the media, I totally get where they're coming from. But wading into a media storm 48 hours after a terror attack and a killing in a live broadcast interview, trying to get the interviewer to not refer to this as a terror attack, but to refer to it as a murder, which it was, is a pretty tough ask, right? So when it comes to reputation management and controlling the narrative, or at least getting your side of the story across, I think this is a good lesson in timing your run. If someone's been killed in any kind of atrocity, all focus is on that person, that family, the aggrieved community, the aggrieved family and friends, and the atrocity that we've just witnessed, and in, in no matter what circumstance. But I think ICV was definitely too ambitious in an interview so close to that atrocity to be changing media language with regards to these kinds of incidents. So it was far too soon. Could it be a longer goal for this particular community? Absolutely, and it should be. And we should be treating all minority groups with respect and not discriminating against them. That would be the utopia in media, but the utopia does not exist. So I thought it was quite foolhardy of the ICV at the time to interview in that way. They really hindered their reputation to interview in that way because, in, in fact, instead of focusing on the aggrieved and the suffering and the atrocity, they focused on 
how they were being treated and discriminated in the media as a community. And it just wasn't the right moment. Could you do an interview like that every other day of the year when you're not sitting right on top of an atrocity? Absolutely. But you just have to time your run and be realistic about the news cycle. That really jumped out at me as a poor interview and poor timing, but I also at the time understood the big goal, which I think they should strive toward, and I'm happy to help them strive toward that. But the timing to do it in that interview at that time was absolutely wrong, and I'm sure you'll agree. Totally different example, this time a corporate totally getting it wrong when it comes to the media. Cast your mind back to 2012, and back around 2012, would you believe, needles, sewing needles were showing up in Auskick footies around the country. And it was terrifying. It was child labour. It was the product of child labour in the subcontinent and unethical marketing channels, our kids in wealthy Western worlds benefiting from that child labour, but also being put at risk with needles being found in footies. Now, I remember being at the ABC and we went out to see the, the exec of Sharon, they call a press conference. We all line up and instead of standing there to answer a few questions, I think this exec was quite surprised as to the media interest here. She decided to run. So instead of fronting a press conference and getting a few messages out and apologising and being committed for this never to happen again, it would have been a pretty standard press conference which would have come and gone pretty quickly. She created a story by running many blocks. So she created some excitement. So our cameras followed her for many blocks in something that should have been done and dusted pretty quickly with a mea culpa of some kind and a commitment to not doing the wrong thing in the future turned into this huge corporate not doing the right thing and actually trying to hide something. So dealing with the media, in fact, is quite simplistic in that you need to time your run, you need to not act like an idiot, you need to say the right things. But when you unpack all of that, there's quite a bit of a strategy involved. And, and I'll dive you into the strategy now into how to deal with tricky questions and how to look after your reputation in the worst of possible times. Now, the Sisto example and the Sharon examples are example, two examples of media interviews totally stuffed up, totally stuffed up to the detriment of those two organizations' reputations. Now, for the people that we deal with in the corporate and not-for-profit world, we do a lot of media training. So you get the opportunity to run through all of these scenarios before you're even in any trouble at all. And gets me thinking about a youth organisation that we're working with and we're running through the nightmare scenarios of one of their youth dying at one of their youth camps, working with underprivileged kids, trying to give them better lives, give them confidence and better skills. But the worst possible scenario for this organisation is for a kid to die at one of their camps. And it could happen because they're abseiling, they're doing all manner of physical activities and things could go wrong. So working through this scenario, and often our crisis media training sessions start with the worst possible scenario, let's just do a little practice interview to see how you go with that. Let, I'd like to see sometimes where people's heads are at. How would you approach this without any training or guidance? So we do that, and the approach from the top exec was something like, well, this is the first person to die here in 30 years of business. And I thought, dear me, we've got a lot of work to do here. I don't think four hours is going to be enough. Because it's just unacceptable, isn't it? If someone was to die, a young person in this case was to die, no one really cares about you and your organisation or whether you've got a job or not tomorrow. Everyone 
really just cares about that child and their family and the friends and all the victims associated with the tragedy that we might be referring to. So I went swiftly into some coaching there to change the narrative in order to protect their reputation in the very worst possible time. For the camp story, it's pretty straightforward. Someone dies. Firstly, you've got to identify all the victims and all the family and all the friends as your top priority. Someone's died here. So you can actually stand up as a leader and do the best possible job in an awful situation and communicate to the press everything that you're doing to support all of the victims in this situation, their family and their friends. So let's say a kid dies in one of your camps. Well, obviously, the victims are everywhere. Everyone who witnessed the tragedy is a victim. All the staff of the camp are victims. All of the family of the boy or girl who died are victims. And all of the friends are victims. And maybe it happened in a small country town. So the whole community starts mourning. So your focus, therefore, in doing any press in order to control the narrative, to write the story in order to control the story, should be about how you're caring for everyone in this really tough time. No one wants you defending yourself or defending your brand. So being defensive in hard interviews and in hard times makes you look much, 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 much worse. But if you come out as a leader and all of your communication is about how you've reached out to the family as your top priority, and in fact, you are bringing them to Melbourne right now so they can visit the site and be with their son. Now, that's the action of an excellent leader in a really hard situation. If all of your communication to the media is about the pastoral care and counselling that you're providing to all staff right now who are traumatised and grieving, well, that's you as a leader just doing the right thing in a terrible situation. So if you've got your values right in a crisis and you're caring for the victims and the families and the friends because you're a leader now, and you just so happen to be communicating all of that to the press in this really difficult time, you, are, you may even enhance your brand, possibly. You'll definitely look like you're doing the best job you can in a very hard situation. If we take that sort of ethos to our other couple of examples here, and you look at the, the terror attack that we referred to in 2018, 48 hours after an incident like that is not the time to try to change media language and media discrimination against your minority group. It's just not the time. If your board and your commitment is just changing the narrative and discrimination against Muslims minutes after a terror attack, don't do the interview because it's not going to go well. But if you choose to do the interview and your focus is on reflecting on the tragedy, being upset by the tragedy, and in fact, the victims in your community are all Muslims because all Muslims, unfortunately, are being discriminated against all the time. And the news is actually terrifying for Muslims because Muslims are awfully afraid that they may, if there is a terror attack, they desperately hope that it's not a Muslim anywhere in the world. And, they, and therefore, they're scared of it because they don't want to be discriminated against. They want peaceful lives. So therefore, if the board at the time had chose to do that interview so close to a murder, I think the whole focus should have been how they're looking to care and support for everyone in their community who is shocked and traumatised right now. That would have been a much better focus. So up against a discriminatory media that doesn't give you an easy time, if you can show yourself to be a heart-centred leader who rises above the fray, who's caring for everyone who's suffering right now, that would have been a great interview. Would have made them look really good at a very difficult time for the whole country. Then absolutely, a couple of months passes, a month passes, 
three weeks passes, then we start reflecting on all the discriminatory language towards Muslims in the media. Yeah, let's do that as other stories then. But the timing, absolutely wrong. And reflecting on the Sharon example, I guess we throw that in for some comedy. I mean, it just stands to reason, doesn't it? Don't hold a press conference and then decide to run because you're terrified. You've got it totally wrong. Similarly, you've called a press conference. Well, if you don't have the talent you think you confront a press conference, don't call a press conference. You're better off just reaching out to a journalist or a platform and just deal with one media platform at a time. Media copy media. So for the Sheridan executive that sprinted from the media who must have been terrified, they were better off just picking a partner. So let's say News Limited or Fairfax or the ABC, there's not that many. And telling your story to that partner, media will copy media and off your story will go. So instead they ran blocks and they created a whole other yarn which they didn't have to. Similarly, for Sharon, picking that partner and telling their story should have all been about how they're focusing on helping the victims, their families and friends in this situation. So micro-domestic problem, kids with needles in their footies around Australia. Well, obviously those families all go get, they get footies personally delivered by Sharon, right, to make up for the problem. That's pretty easy. So you're a good leader doing the right thing. Much bigger issue, ethical marketing channels. You as a company have to be committed to stamping that out because it's just not good enough. So there you go. To control a story, you need to be one writing the story. It's so important. If you find yourself in a crisis, you need to be focusing on the victims, the families and the friends and how you're caring for them all right now in this really difficult time. <music>